Welcome to the Preaching Podcast. I'm Paul Robinson, and I hope you're doing well. We're continuing our series in the book of Jonah. Today we're going to talk about part three. Now, chapter one, we talked about Jonah's rebellion and how he ran away from God and uh, how God is not going to let him get away, right? He sent the storm. Jonah's cast into the ocean. God sent the great fish. And then chapter two was Jonah's prayer when he was in the belly of the fish, and then the fish spat him out. And uh, and we're going to pick up with the story in chapter 3 and find out what happens. So uh, we, we, today's uh, message covers some very important topics. We're going to talk about uh, how basically there was a revival at Nineveh, even though really a revival is for the people of God. But um, how on earth did that happen? How did that happen? We're going to talk about that today. And also we're going to talk about a very important subject concerning the repentance of God. Does God ever change his mind? Hmm. I mean, how is that possible, right, if God knows everything? Anyways, we're going to talk about that today, so I'm very excited. So without further ado, here's the message, Jonah Part 3. Jonah Chapter 3. We're now in Jonah Chapter 3. We've seen uh, Jonah get the initial call from the Lord, and he, he rebelled. He went the other way. He tried to run away from the presence of God. And then God said, you're not going get, to get away with it that easily, Jonah. And he sent the storm. And instead of repenting, Jonah said, just throw me in the ocean. So they did. And God said, you're not going to get away with it that easily, Jonah. And he sent the fish to swallow him. And Jonah finally got right with the Lord. He prayed in the belly of the fish, and it spit him out back on land. So that now that brings us up to speed now in chapter 3. And today, the first part we're going to talk about is the second call. The second call, notice Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Okay, so notice that God's command, uh, God's call, did not change. It did not change. Um, his command to Jonah the second time was exactly the same command that he gave him the first time. You know, God does not change his call to us when we refuse to submit to it. God doesn't say... Oh, you don't want to do it? Okay, that's fine. No, God doesn't do that. God doesn't change because of our because of our rebellion. Romans 11:29 clearly speaks to this truth. It says, "For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance." The context of this verse is speaking of salvation and election specifically of Israel. God called and chose Israel as his people. Despite their rebellion and idolatry, God's call never changed. God's promises and covenant with Israel are both unconditional. Likewise, God's calling in our lives does not change as well. Also, God's plan did not change. God's plan was still for Jonah to preach so that Nineveh would repent and be saved. Despite failure on our part, God's plan does not change. Instead, God patiently works with us to eventually fulfill his plan. Israel is a wonderful example. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I just love that verse. 
God has an expected end in mind for you and for me. And he has thoughts of peace. God's plan for Israel started with Abraham, who was promised a land, seed, and blessing. These were eventually fulfilled in Canaan, that's the land, Christ, the seed, and salvation becoming available to all people, that's the blessing. God had a wonderful plan for his people. Unfortunately, Israel's sin caused God to add a 70-year captivity to that plan, but Israel would return to their land at the end of that time. God even used foreign nations to accomplish his plan. Cyrus was the one who made the decree for Israel to return and rebuild the temple in Ezra chapter 1. God's plan also included the Messiah, who would come to bring salvation to Israel. He did come, although the Jews rejected him. As a result, the gospel became available to all people. This, of course, was God's plan all along. God's ultimate plan for Israel has not yet been fulfilled. But one day soon, after the rapture and tribulation, Jesus will come again and reign from Jerusalem. And all of God's promises to Israel will be fulfilled. Aren't you looking forward to that day? I sure am. God's plan for the world today has not changed. This plan is found in Matthew 28, 18-20, which is the Great Commission. God's vehicle to accomplish this plan is the local New Testament church. That's right, God, that's how God desires to change the world today, through the local New Testament church. Just as Jonah was chosen to be the one to preach to Nineveh, so God has chosen to use us to preach the gospel to the world today. You know, it's amazing, we actually have the same message that Jonah had. Jonah said, repent. Repent or you'll be destroyed. Well, that's the message we have. We, we, we preach repentance too. The people would turn from their sin, turn to the Lord and be saved, put their faith in Christ for their salvation, and be saved so that they're not destroyed, so that they don't experience the second death. It's the same message that Jonah had. We have that message. So it's interesting. God's call did not change. His plan did not change. But something did change in this story. What is that thing? Well, it was Jonah's response. His response changed. Instead of running again, Jonah obeys the Lord and heads for Nineveh. In the Christian life, God does not change. His word does not change. Instead, we are the ones who need to change. First, God changed us completely at salvation. Second Chronicles 5.17 says... Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This change happens on the inside and eventually works itself to the outside. Isn't it amazing how, how you see people who, who they used to be drunkards. They used to be very sinful men. And they got saved and they changed. They were not the same. That they didn't they didn't struggle like they did before. They hey, they never touched the bottle again. All of a sudden they, they stopped cussing. You see, God changed them. Why? Because they became a new creature. That's what the Bible says. The gospel brings real change. As I said, drunkards become sober. Abusers become tame. Brawlers become gentle, and the hateful become loving. Saul of Tarsus is the best example of a changed life. The, the persecutor of the gospel became the preacher of the gospel. But even after we're saved, we still need to allow the Lord to change us each and every day through his word. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27 says this, 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You see, the day is going to come when God is going to present his bride to Christ. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. And you know on that wedding day, on any wedding day, the bride should look as beautiful as possible. The focus of a wedding, it's all about the bride. It's all about the bride. Isn't that an amazing thing? That that day is coming when the bride will be given to Christ, the bridegroom. It's all about the bride. And and, and really, we say it's all about the bride, but really, it's all about Christ, isn't it? It's all about the bridegroom. But what does God want to do? He wants to cleanse us with the washing of his word. He wants to change us. Real change can only come when we submit to the Lord. James 4, 7, and 8 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Notice, there's a lot going on there. We have to submit. We have to resist. We have to cleanse. We have to purify. And we have to draw nigh to God. There's a lot going on there. And it's a lot of change. There's a lot of changes in those verses. And again, if we would do the right thing, if we would submit and draw close to the Lord, God's the one who's going to change us. He's going to cleanse us and forgive us and change us. Amen? So it's Jonah's response that changed. Now briefly, the journey to Nineveh. The Great Fish Express did not drop off Jonah outside the city of Nineveh. Boy, wouldn't have that been nice. Nope. Instead, it was a three-day journey to get there. My goodness. What do you think was going through Jonah's mind during those days? Well, we could debate whether Jonah was actually right with the Lord, or if he was simply doing this because he felt like the Lord was forcing him. We know that later Jonah had an attitude problem. That's chapter 4. We'll talk about that next time. But perhaps his heart was right with the Lord as he journeyed to Nineveh. You know, I just think about Jonah on that journey, traveling to Nineveh, thinking, did that really just happen to me? Did I really just get swallowed by this great fish? Was I really inside the belly of that disgusting, gross, was I really in there for three days and three nights? And and, and God delivered me? Did that really happen? It must have seemed like a, a fever dream, you know? We don't know what he thought about, but Hopefully he was right with God. Even if he was, even if he was right with God, later, chapter 4, he's not right with God. And I, I don't want to get ahead, though. We're going to get to chapter 4 next time, though. It's going to be the, some, some great things in that chapter. It's very sad, though. But uh, chapter 3, we're going to continue now with the revival at Nineveh, verses 4 through 9. All right. Now, you do have to understand, I use the word revival, but it... it, it I suppose that's technically incorrect because a revival really is for the people of God. After all, it is revival, being made alive again. And if you're not saved, you can't really have a revival of, of if, 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 you know, if you've never been revived in the first place. If, if you're unsaved, you're dead. You're in darkness. That's what the Bible says. So revival is for the people of God. Now, a byproduct of revival is people getting saved. You know... It, If our churches would get revived today, then you know what would happen? 
people would be getting saved. Left and right, all over the place, people would be getting saved. A big reason why people are not getting saved today is because they look at Christians and they say, well, I don't see any difference in your life. Why you, why you act just like we do. And, and, and that's true, and it's because we need to be revived. If we would have revival, people would be getting saved. Anyways, just a side note. So let's talk about what happened in Nineveh. First, God's previous dealings with Nineveh. There's something you have to understand here. Uh, before Jonah ever arrived at Nineveh, uh, this is several years before he came, the city had experienced two plagues. This was in 765 and 759 B.C. That's not all. There was also a total eclipse of the sun in 763 B.C. Now, these events were no doubt looked upon as divine judgment from Nineveh's gods. That's, that's what they thought. Oh, these are judgment from, from our gods. But in actuality, Jehovah God was getting their attention. Soon his prophet would arrive on the scene to announce real judgment. This helps us to understand the Ninevites' reaction to Jonah's message. They feared divine judgment, and so they were ready to repent. And, and I think that's so important to understand because you just read the book of Jonah. You read it and, and, and understand how wicked these people were. And Jonah, you know, just makes his proclamation, and, and all of a sudden every, ah, everybody repents. And you, you say, what, why did that happen? It doesn't make any sense. Why would they be so quick to repent? Well, I'm telling you why. Because God had prepared them for this moment. They had, they had two plagues and a total eclipse. All right? They, they were ready. They were ready to hear the word of God. It's pretty amazing how God uh, prepares people for the gospel. Amen? <clears throat> that brings us to Jonah's proclamation, verse 4. Verse 4 says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <clears throat> No doubt Jonah's message was a little more detailed than what is given here. The Ninevites were challenged to repent and turn to Jehovah God within 40 days or they would be destroyed. Now, the number 40 in the Bible always has to do with testing. I want you to think of Moses and Jesus. All right, Moses was up in Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. And even before that, he was in the wilderness as a shepherd for 40 years. And of course, Jesus was... Tempted of the devil, 40 days and 40 nights. So God was testing the Ninevites to see if they would repent. This was a confrontational message, which people often do not like. I mean, who likes to, those kind of messages? Yet Jonah faithfully preached it, imperiling his own life. Instead of being ignored, Jonah's message began to spread throughout the city. People began to humble themselves. Eventually, the message even reached the king. How would this wicked pagan monarch respond to Jonah's message? Well, that br br brings us to the king's proclamation, verses 5 through 9. It says this, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed, nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent, and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Oh my goodness! 
Isn't that amazing? The king also humbles himself before God, and, and he makes this proclamation for everyone to repent and to humble themselves and put on sackcloth and ashes. Oh, my goodness. And at first, this might seem strange, but conviction was obviously building up in the hearts of the king and the people. Notice the three actions which the people did. First, they believed God. They gave credit to Jonah's message, thus recognizing Jehovah as the true God. Second, they proclaimed a fast. This was customary in an act of humiliation. It was very customary to, to fast. And finally, they put on sackcloth, a material worn during times of distress or mourning. And so they, they wanted to show God that they were serious. They were humbling themselves. They, they were saying, God, the, the God of Israel, please see us. We're, we're humbling ourselves. Have mercy. Have mercy. They were seeking God's mercy. This was a city-wide revival. Every person from the greatest to the least repented and turned to God for mercy. The king's last remark, verse 9, tells us that they were throwing themselves upon the mercy of God. If God could have mercy on such a wicked people, it would truly be miraculous. But I want you to know that we serve a God who is loving and compassionate. And there is no one who is so wicked that God will not have mercy. If they seek him for mercy, our God will have mercy. The Bible says he will abund abundantly pardon. That's the God we serve. I want to talk about being saved by grace. The Ninevites were saved on that day. Now, you have to understand this is the Old Testament. But did you know that people in the Old Testament were still saved by grace? All right. The Ninevites were not saved by their works. Oh, it's sure, yeah. They 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 humbled themselves. They they put on sackcloth and ashes and they they wanted God to see that they were humbling themselves. But it's not their good works that saved them. You see they had a change of heart. They repented of their sins. And you know what repentance is essential for salvation. Every now and then you'll you'll hear somebody say uh, repentance isn't necessary for salvation. No, 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 no. All you got to do is believe. Just believe on Jesus. Just believe on Jesus. Well, hold on. If you need to be saved, isn't it important that you know what you're saved from? After all, pe people are not going to get saved if they don't realize that they need to be saved. People have to recognize they're sinners so they know why they need to be saved. So yes, you of course you had to repent. Now, this is biblical. Luke 13, verses 3 through 5, Jesus says this, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Okay, so just as using an example of something that just happened recently, of this tower that collapsed on these men in Siloam, and apparently these were very wicked men. But verse 5, he says exactly what he said in verse 3, I tell you nay. But except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, there's no wiggle room in what Jesus says. If you do not repent, you will perish. Acts 2.38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see this all throughout the book of Acts, where the apostles are preaching, and they say, Repent, and believe on Christ. So, yes, Repentance is a change of mind which results in a change of action. It is turning from one thing to another. God wants all people to repent. Second Peter 3, 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. The Ninevites were not saved by keeping the Mosaic law. Hey, nobody is. But by putting their faith in God, they were saved by grace. Just like anyone. Even in the Old Testament, people were saved by grace. Here, here's a few examples. Abraham was saved when he believed God. Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. Noah and his family were saved by grace. Genesis 6, 8, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, believed on God after the Lord humbled him. That's in Daniel chapter 4. And you know what? I believe Nebuchadnezzar got saved. I believe we're going to see him in heaven one day. The book of Jonah is perhaps the only place in the Old Testament in which a large group of Gentiles is saved. Think about that. Here's this. This, this is a citywide revival. Everybody's getting saved. And I think it's the only place in the entire Old Testament where that happens. It happens in the New Testament, but... In the Old Testament, that just didn't happen. That didn't happen. Truly amazing. Now, I do want to talk about something very important here before we finish out today. And that is verse 10. Verse 10, I want you to notice, says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Here we have the repentance of God. Question, does God ever change his mind? Does he ever change his mind? Well, this verse in Jonah seems to indicate that God had a change of mind. However, the Bible makes it clear that God does not change his mind. All right? God does not change, clear and simple. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Okay? Well, that's, that's pretty straightforward. I change not. Man may change, but God does not. God's not like a man. You know, 1 Samuel 15, 29 says, And also the strength of Israel would not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. You know, we, we change, don't we? We change our mind. We change our mind all the time. You probably change your mind multiple times during the day. You know, I'm going to do this. I'll change my mind. I'm not. God's not like that. In fact, God does not even change in the slightest. James 1, 17 says, Neither shadow of turning. Not even the slight, just a shadow of turning with God. He knows ahead of time exactly what will happen and what he's going to do. Acts fifteen eighteen says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And yet there are passages in the Bible which seem to indicate that God does change his mind. Well, let's try to reconcile these difficulties with theology and scripture. First, let's look at, there's an association with judgment. In Genesis 6, God sees the wickedness of man upon the earth, and it causes him to repent, Genesis 6, 6. In Exodus 32, the children of Israel sin in making the golden calf, and God is ready to destroy them. Moses intercedes, and God repents of this decision, Exodus 32, 14. The final occurrence is in Jonah 3, of course, when God repents after the Ninevites change their hearts and their ways. Notice that in each instance... Notice that in each instance, judgment is involved. In the first passage, judgment comes and destroys the wicked. In the second passage, Moses stops God from sending judgment. And in the third passage, the Ninevites' repentance causes God to abandon his judgment. Repentance then seems to be tied somehow to judgment. Now let's talk about man's repentance versus God's repentance. You see, these are not the same. Man's repentance is a change of mind, but God cannot change his mind. So how can we make sense of this? The Hebrew word for repentance in the Old Testament is nacham. 
It can mean different things based on the context, just like words we use in English. It can mean to change one's mind, or to be grieved, or to comfort, or to pity. In connection with man's repentance, it is referring to changing one's mind. However, in connection with God's repentance, it is referring to pity. Nineveh had a deadline of 40 days to repent. Similarly, God gave the antediluvians 120 years to repent of their sin. M.R. Dahan states this, and I quote, Here, then, we have God setting a deadline of 120 years. And when the end of that time came, and they had not repented, God's original foreknown judgment fell upon the wicked world. In the case of Nineveh, however, they repented, and God's foreknown purpose in saving them was accomplished. Wow. That, that's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? And so when it says that God repented, it means that he pitied them because of their humility and change of heart. This was his plan all along. He would have done the same thing for the antediluvians if they had repented. And so I want you to think about that. I want you to, to remember. You know, some people, and, and there might be people who say to you, oh, the Bible's not true because it says God repented, God changed his mind, God changed his mind. And they might use this as a sticking point, but it's really not. Okay? When it says God repented, it just means he had pity upon them. All right? He had pity upon them. So you have to remember in the Bible, anytime God talks about judgment, he always gives a time frame, and he says, I'm giving you a chance to repent, and if you do not, I'm sending judgment. Usually, they don't repent. Okay, let's just be honest. I mean, think about all the Old Testament prophets talking to Israel. Did Israel ever repent? Not really. Well, they did under Josiah. Amen? But really, they didn't. They hardened their hearts. They hardened their necks, and they were rebellious. They refused to hear what God had to say. And so judgment came. But if they had repented, if they said, Lord, please be merciful to us, please, then God would have repented. He would have had pity on them. And he would have said, I'm not sending the judgment because that's what I wanted. I wanted to see that you would own up to your sin and you would ask for forgiveness. That's what God wants. So we need to understand that. We also need to understand that God is beyond our understanding. Calvinists would tell you that they have figured out God. They understand exactly how he works. In reality, we cannot fully comprehend the mind of God. To say we can is very ignorant. God is far beyond our finite comprehension. I mean, have you read the Bible? Just read Isaiah chapter 40. God is massive. God is incredible. We can't understand him. God does not think the way we think. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. Notice three aspects of God that do not change. God's mind does not change. God is omniscient. He knows all things. And therefore, it is impossible that his perfect thinking would change. <laughs> if God ever changed his mind then that means he's not omniscient. So we know that's not true. Secondly, God's nature does not change. God is holy, long-suffering, merciful, full of truth, compassionate, and just. None of these attributes will ever change because they are a part of God's very nature. You cannot change his nature. He, he, he cannot change his nature. 
And finally, God's promises do not change. God has made many promises to Israel and many to us as well. These will never change, and God will never break his word. Aren't you thankful for that? With this in mind, submit yourself to the sovereign creator. He knows what is best. We do not. We need to submit to his purpose and plan. Remember, God's purpose for this world has not changed. Just as Nineveh had a deadline to repent, so does the world today. There will come a day when the time to repent is over, and God will bring judgment. Until then, let us be faithful to preach the gospel to a world that needs to believe God and turn to him for salvation. Amen. My goodness, I tell you, that's that's an amazing thing to think about. How God is, uh, first of all, um, God does not change. He doesn't change his mind, folks. He, he he just doesn't. And so we have to understand when it says he repents once again, he's he's having pity on them. And uh, it it just it just is amazing. And and at the same time, I, I don't want you to think like, oh, okay, I figured out how God works because we can't understand God. Okay, you can't. Now, praise the Lord, we have the Word of God today. We have the Bible. God gave us His Word so that we could know Him. And that so we could understand him to a certain degree. Uh, but you're never going to know everything there is to know about God. I mean, think about that. If you could figure figure out God, if you knew everything about God, would he, would he be God? Would he really? And, and that's why he is God, because he's infinite. You, you cannot understand everything. You know, I think we're going to be in heaven for all of eternity, and we're still not going to know everything to know about God. We're, we're not, we're just not, we're not ever able to do that. And, but praise the Lord, thank, uh, praise the Lord that we have a God who is loving and compassionate, full of mercy, long-suffering. I tell you, that 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 is that is the God we serve, and, and that's so wonderful. So <clears throat> I could just go on and on about it, but thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to go to YouTube and subscribe to the Preaching Podcast channel. It's just called the Preaching Podcast. Find it on YouTube. I've already put up a whole bunch of videos. That'll be a a great help to you and encouragement to you. Every Monday, I put up a devotional thought video. Be sure to watch those, but please subscribe to that channel. Don't forget about my website as well, paulrobinsonbooks.com. Be sure to head over there. Hey, if you haven't checked out my books, be sure to look at those. You can buy them on Amazon, the Becoming a Man series, and they are devotional books that I I know they're Becoming a Man, but they're really just for, for everyone. They're for everyone. They're not just for men. But they're very uh, encouraging books that will just help you in your walk with the Lord. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm Paul Robinson, and until next time, God bless you. I